When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and today we'll be looking at what went wrong as league leaders Arsenal breezed past Fulham to secure a very easy 3-0 victory at Craven Cottage. Fulham, who, let's not forget, were without key players in William and Jao Polinia, just never really got going, conceded three soft goals in the first half. And whilst they improved in the second, no doubt after receiving a bit of a tongue-lashing from Marco Silva, it sadly wasn't enough to come away with anything. Whilst Mick Jagger watched on from the cottage, our boys on the pitch ensured that the fans left without getting no satisfaction. Many felt a result like this has been coming, and whilst it's obviously disappointing, we have to remind ourselves that Arsenal are very, very good at football, and we've still got plenty to look forward to this season. Most of all, our FA Cup quarterfinal clash against Manchester United, which we will be coming on to. With me to chew the fat following yesterday's result is Don Betts. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad, mate. Cool, Dan Cook. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Cheers, Coops. Doing all right. Managing after it was it was disappointing, but managing. And Stephen Sheldrake, how are you today? Ah, oh, brilliant. Thanks, George. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. All the better to see your faces, lads. Um, I believe you've got some three-word reviews for us, Stephen, if you'd like to do the honours and kick things off. Oh, yeah. So I went to the Big Blue Bird for our three-word reviews, and I've pulled out five absolute corkers. So. Starting with uh, Fulham Douster with a Sunday roasting, which feels very apt. <laughs> uh, Neil Laws with jowl-shaped hole. Uh, Gordon FFC Riverside with couldn't be asked. Sean Smith with trust and turned. And finally, Jacob Kruper with outgunned, outmanned and outplanned. Mm, I feel like that last one really summarises the afternoon's proceedings. All too well. Dan, I think a few in the fan base felt a result like this was coming. Our form has really taken a dip and there's some pretty average performances. Um, I feel like our average performances as a team have been disguised by some sort of shock results and some wonder goals. Um, Do you feel like the writing was on the wall with this game for a little while? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I said it after the quick take after the Brentford game, which I was on. It's like that result felt like it was coming. I think the thing is, I think we were due results like one against Brentford, you know, a team around us who were just going to just be better than us because we're in poor form. It's just extra amplified when you play a team as good as Arsenal are this season because any errors we made, any lapses in concentration, any free men who were available from an Arsenal point of view, they found them and they punished us and it was coming. It's just a shame because sometimes I think these games against sort of top six or big six sides, you almost, the form isn't necessarily the thing you need. It's just like a little bit of graft, a bit of battle and really going in and just trying to bully the opposition a little bit. And it was just a little bit like that old nice Fulham where we were like oh yeah you guys play really good football that's yeah fair play to you and we played some nice football at times as well but ultimately we were just 
beaten by a much better side. Yeah, you mentioned there we needed to bully the opposition and we certainly didn't do that. One of our bullies was absent. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, Japalinia, we were also without William, who had a hamstring issue and also a back issue that had been troubling him over the last couple of days. Um, Fulham have won zero points and conceded 10 goals without Japalinia, which is around 27% percent of all of our goals conceded uh, no one in our squad has also made more tackles than Jao um, having said this Marco was quite reluctant to blame uh, the absence of Jao and William he said um, it would be easy way for me to do to analyse the game um, however that's not the case uh, it's our reality the players on the pitch had all the conditions and ability to do much better um, Dom do you feel like these defeats can be blamed on these absences or do you agree with Marco and think that we've got everything um, sort of in our arsenal to win it was just down to just a poor team performance I think it's a bit of both really I think we were quite soft in the first half which Marco alluded to in his post-match interviews I mean I, th- I didn't think we we put it on Arsenal and I think if you put it on Arsenal as Brent uh, sorry as Bournemouth showed last weekend that you can you can get some some, some goals but I don't you know I just I said enough it is like we are a completely different team without Jao Polina. There is that. But there's also the fact that we kind of let just Arsenal play their football in the first half and kill the game. Because obviously once they go three nil up, you know, we're not we're not coming back into the game. I think I think I think I think we are not the same team without Jao Polina, but I also think that's due to the squad depth. I think there isn't someone who naturally sort of comes in and replaces him. I think you look at obviously Harrison Reed, uh Lukic and Pereira's the midfield, obviously, that's been coming in. I just don't think it's got necessarily the same bite. I don't think it's got the same... I don't know, it's just the, the midfield isn't the same. Maybe also the height in there isn't the same with obviously Harrison Reed being about five foot six and Jal Polina being about six foot two. Um, but yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think we didn't help ourselves yesterday, but as you say, our, our, our team just isn't the same without Jal Polina. And thankfully, obviously, he's back for the uh, Manchester United quarterfinal. And thankfully for us, Casemiro is obviously out of that game. But yeah, I just think it's a bit of both, really. I thought we were quite soft, as Marcus Silva said. I think we allowed Arsenal to play their football and we didn't sort of rough them up as as maybe Bournemouth did uh, in the early stages of their game last week. I do also think, Coops, that, that like there's the element, there's two elements to why we've been poor recently. And I think one is out of possession, particularly in the last two games. And that is partially down to missing Joao Polina because he's fantastic when we don't have the ball and breaking up the play and getting involved. But I think also when we've had the ball, we've just not moved it in the same way that we were when we were at our best this season. I think we've been slow in possession. We lack that sort of like incisive, that sort of killer touch at times. And I don't think that's down to missing Polina because that's not part of his remit in that role he's good recycler of possession but he's not tasked with cutting teams open and I think that's more of a problem with I think our, our forward line and our, our, our creators that they just aren't performing to the same levels as they were earlier in the season so that I think that there is like Marco's not necessarily wrong when he says it's not you can't just blame the fact that we're missing Polina for these performances yeah, no, I agree. Uh, we've taken we're taking a bit of a dip in form, right? It happens to every team throughout the course of the season. Unless you're going to go on and do a Leicester and just just um, just I, keep I going, and going, and going. We're, like, we're, we're we're in a tough run of fixtures. Like if you look at our fixtures post uh, international break, bar Manchester City away and United away last game of the season, we've got a favourable run running compared to other teams. 
you know, we haven't, United's the only team we still need to travel to. Obviously, that Liverpool game still needs to be rearranged. But if you look at our game straight after international break, what is it? You've got, you've got Bournemouth away, you've got West Ham at home, Everton away, Leeds at home if we don't, if we don't beat United. So I feel like, I feel like everyone's making kind of like a big deal out of a game we're probably supposed to lose. If, if, if that makes sense, like we're still eighth in the league, you know, there's, there's, there's teams with, with harder fixtures than us. I just think, you know, if you look at our, our run of games for the end of the season, yes, you can say, oh, we're playing teams who need to get points and that could, you know, bring up certain issues. But I just feel like if you look, yes, we lost to the team in the top of the league. We still have only, we still, well, we, we've lost a game by three goals for only the second time this season. So I feel like, yeah, it was it was a very very poor first half. But at the end at the end of the day, it's it's Arsenal, it's Arsenal who are playing some scintillating football this season, and it's you know we move on from this, and hopefully you just bounce back straight after the international break, really. Yeah, yeah, I think a bit of perspective here is always, um, you know, it's never it's never a bad thing. So as you said, I'm from April, Fulham have only three matches left against teams currently above them in the table. So, you know, after the international break, chance to reset. I mean, like on face value, we took eight points in March from games against Chelsea, Nottingham Forest, Brighton, Wolves, Brentford and Arsenal. It's not a bad return, considering that really our objective this year is to stay in the league. So... Yeah, I just think it's um, the manner of, you know, when you see the likes of when we played Manchester United, narrow defeat, when we lost to Arsenal at the Emirates, it was a very narrow defeat, we went toe-to-toe. And I think the frustration is more just as we just kind of seemed to sort of roll over a bit yesterday. It wasn't the same spirited performance that we've seen against the the top teams. But, you know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth and it's, you know, I certainly don't think it's anything to panic about just yet. I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say. I mean, Stephen, as I said, it's very easy to get bogged down in our performance, but I think we can all agree that Arsenal look pretty good, right? Do you think they're, uh, do you think they're on for their first league title in... Um, well, since 2004. That's right, 2004. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Arsenal look phenomenal. Uh, they were a lot better than when we faced them in the reverse fixture where we almost scraped a point from them. Technically, uh, they're very gifted. They're really good on the ball and they're strong as well as, as they proved against our defence. Um, I mean, at some point, you just have to sit back and go, well, that's a joy to watch. You know, I think Arteta's brought out you know, the best in those players. And when he was first there, I remember when they were floating above the relegation zone thinking it was hilarious. And now, you know, they're absolutely flying. And I think everyone outside of Man City is probably rooting for Arsenal to win to, you know, mix up a bit. And I'm not. Yeah. No, you're not. And, and Dom. <laughs> we won't hear the end of it, but, you know. Uh, yeah, it was It was just one of those things, you know. Brentford hadn't been beaten in the league since October, I believe, you know. and. Arsenal were Arsenal doing what they do. You take Pellini out of the equation for Fulham and that's just two horrific fixtures. Now we've got to look forward, enjoy a cup game where there's, you know, not as much pressure. Um, Casemiro being out, Pellini coming back in is great. And then we we crack on and I think we aim for that top 10 finish still. Maybe Europe is, is, is a bit of a step too far, but, you know, things could shake out funny and we just got to crack on and look forward. I think one of the terrifying things that like about like the top six sides in in this league, you know, look at Arsenal in particular t- yesterday. Saliba and Gabriel as a centre back pairing, and this was one of the things that was getting me all game, is that you've got yeah two centre backs who are physically strong enough to deal with Alexander Mitrovic. They are quick enough to keep up with 
Manuel Solomon and Dan James when he came on and also tactically aware and astute enough to deal with several runners into the box and tracking their man. Like it's just a different level, you know, and, and you look at our back line and we've got players who can do two of those three things. But at this level, you're looking at players who are just complete footballers and it's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, uh, why just have interest on? Why is it you don't want to see Arsenal uh, go on and win? What's the, what's your what's your issue with because the Arsenal? I know too many Arsenal fans. <laughs> I don't know any Man City fans. I don't care if they win the league again because there are hardly any Man like, City fans are they, outside of Manchester. Yeah, like, I, 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 there aren't any Man City fans in London, so I don't care if they win the league again. Whereas I know way too many Arsenal fans, and I don't want them to be happy. <laughs> I don't. I, I personally don't mind Arsenal. I think they. I think they play. I really like their. The style I of football. Care less what football they play. If I know <laughs> like too many fans of a certain team, I don't want them to win anything. Yeah, the fan base is annoying. I'll grant you that. They, it's like but... I don't want I don't want Chelsea to anything. I don't want United to anything. I don't want Liverpool to anything. Just 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 stand just, just for just Fulham to win everything. Then just yeah, I mean I don't really mind if West Ham win a Commerce League because I don't know any West Ham fans because you don't get West Ham fans in South London. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as long as I don't know any of your fan base then I don't mind there you go that's the Dom Betts mantra Dan let's talk about some of the goals <laughs> I mean some very soft goals to concede here I mean the first obviously Gabriel's corner delivered into the six yard box rises high to score very similar to the goal he scored against us uh, the last time Arsenal were at the Craven Cottage in 2020 just nobody seems to jump I was like what is going on here like it Tosin seemed to get in a tangle and was almost kind of like held down by, you know, our own players. And it just seemed like a very, very simple free header in the middle of the six yard box. I mean, is there anything that you can unpick there or was it just a, a clusterfuck, bad defending, move on? Yeah, well, I, I think was really disappointed. Hmm. Sorry, Dan, you go first. No, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. It's just a, not a well defended set piece. It's a good ball into the box. It's it's they, they, there's the clear plan there. I think one of the things that hurts us is the smart sort of blocking that goes on on Burn Leno because it's a cross that's put into the six yard box, but he can't come and claim it because he's got an Arsenal player stood in front of him. And I think ordinarily, when a ball comes into that sort of region, Leno might be tempted to come and try and clear out. So you lose that. And then it's just a just misreading of the the flight of the ball. It's it's there's a lot of bodies in there, and we just don't deal with it well. And it's a shame because we've got probably the two best players on the pitch yesterday in terms of aerial ability in Tosin and Mitro. And you'd sort of hope we'd be able to defend a set piece better than that, but it was just poor, really. And I guess there's the momentum factor as well. We were really under the cosh at that point and we just seemed to switch off and just it seemed to get a bit too much for us almost. Sorry, just adding to what you're saying, Dan. I think the frustrating thing when I was watching it, you know, first of all, Tosin comes into the team over Diop and you have to wonder why that is. Is it a height thing or is it, you know, just different abilities on and off the ball? But for me, if you put in Tosin in as a defender, he's got to be the man winning the ball when it comes into the box. And he just gets swarmed in that little cluster of players, gets a little push on the back, but it's so soft. Uh, and I was just, I was really frustrated that he wasn't leaping up like a salmon to get that, you know, and it's the second time that's happened this season. Uh, well, I just think he should be stronger and be doing better personally. But that was just my takeaway from that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think this, the worst of all three was the second goal. Martinelli, who stands at a towering five for eight with a free header at the back post. I mean, just some really 
poor defending. Trossard turning uh, Tete inside out before basically free header Robinson doesn't even seem to jump. I mean, Dom, there's no excuses for that goal. No, I watched this goal. And I've watched this back multiple times. I don't really understand what Robinson's doing. Like, obviously, Trossard does some excellent footwork and he gets the ball to the back post, but Giza just head the ball away. <laughs> like at least, at least, at least jump for it, and he sort of just ducks. And Martinelli at the back post just has an easy free head. I don't, I don't, I just, I can't quite work out what Robinson's plan is like defensively for this goal because he sort of just stands there, cowers, ducks, and I said he just lets him have a free header. I just, I couldn't quite work. I don't know if he thought he was going to get a foul. Like, I just. I, just, I said I thought both fullbacks yesterday weren't at their best, and I think this goal sort of epitomised sort of their, both their games. Really, I, I, I don't know about you, Dan, but I just don't. I couldn't really work out what Robinson was trying to do. No, I was I was saying before we came on, I'm just baffled. Like as, and I think everyone in, in the Hammersmith end, particularly because it happened right in front of it, was just so taken aback by the fact that he didn't do anything to stop Martinelli just nodding that in. It was it was really, really weird. And I think one of the things that I do think was we should touch on where what I noticed where I think Fulham was struggling, and maybe this is part of it, is that with Trossard playing up top, he acted as a lot less like a, a standard centre forward and and you know you can maybe say like a false nine or it was probably more than that. He he dropped off a lot, he, he drifted out wide a lot. And I think that really threw us because it left a lot of the time, it left Tosin and Tim Ream with nothing in front of them because Trossard was drifting out wide. You had Odegaard picking up the pocket between midfield and the back line and the two wingers in, in Saka and Martelli out wide as well. And I think it just led to this thing where Fulham didn't seem really sure who they were meant to be tracking. And it sort of pops up to Robinson at the back post. And it's almost like he doesn't, it's like he doesn't know Martinelli's there, but I don't know how that's possible because Martinelli stood in front of him. But yeah, I'm I'm with you, Dom. It was really, really weird. Yeah, it was just, it was just some poor defensive positioning. He seemed like he lost track of Martinelli, lost track of where he was, forgot what his name was. And then, yeah, it was a, a very easy goal. And Odegaard, I mean, the defending so we have that many touches. It reminded me of like the last five minutes of my five-a-side league when everyone is just blowing out their ass and nobody can put in a tackle. <laughs> and all the people just sort of like sticking their legs out, knowing full well that they're just going to like dance right past you. Um, but anyway, I mean, Stephen, just a bad day at the office first, defensively first half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, third goal, Tete should be doing more to stop the cross. This, there was a lot of hesitancy uh, that that when you get you know Jao on the pitch, all he does is throw himself at every ball, and that's what we love. And that was the vibe I got from the Fulham back four. There was a lot of not jumping in. Maybe they were so worried about giving a penalty away to Saka, but that everyone just stood off, and that was epitomised in that third goal where you probably had about three Fulham defenders standing in front of Tross- um, Odegaard, who I mean, absolutely beautiful goal, um, fools everyone. But just get stuck in, boys. Like, you know, you've got to be more aggressive. We we were very submissive and very, uh, we just kind of took it all, didn't we? And that first offside goal, which was fairly tight, should have been the massive warning sign to be like, right, you need to wake up now. And it, we just didn't. We just didn't get going. And it was all done by halftime, really, wasn't it? A good, a good second half, but it was over and out by them. Also, Odegaard is is left-footed and that's one of the things that really annoyed me is that the only thing he's going to do in that situation is drift further inside so he can take a shot with his left foot. And it's sort of, 
I just, I like, I could see it as soon as he received the ball. I was like, well, he's going to drift in and try and hit the far corner. And I don't, I've like, those are things we should know how to deal with. And we didn't, it was poor. Yeah, some player that Odegaard though. It also a yeah, he's fantastic hat trick of assists for uh, Trossard in the first half. I mean, is it just me? I, they, they, they've spoken about. I've heard them talk about this on um, Football Weekly from time to time. But it's true. Trossard just looks absolutely knackered all the time. It looks like he's just come off the back of like a you know forty eight hour bender and asked to uh, sort of like almost like Paul Gascoigne style and asked to play. But he's he's really some player. He's he's great to watch. I hate to say it. Dom's looking uh, fairly bemused at our praise of Arsenal. Here, <laughs> he's got no comment, no comment at all. But I mean, like Arsenal, um, they are Arsenal and Paris Saint Germain are the only two teams in Europe's top ten leagues with three players on ten plus goals this season. So Martinelli on twelve, Saka on ten, Odegaard on ten, Mbappe on nineteen, Neymar and Messi uh, both on thirteen. So I mean, they are a very, very strong side, and I do, I, I think they're going to go on and win this league. I really do. Um, right, we've talked enough about the first half, and we did improve slightly second half. You know, I think Marco must have given them a real, uh, a real, you know, pasting in the dressing room, um, Stephen. So we had two shots in the first half, ten shots in the second half. I mean, overall, how do you think we improved? More energy, but obviously not enough to get a goal. Um, you know, what, what what do you think, Marco said to the boys at half time? Pour your socks up, lads. Uh, no, I think it was a case of we let Arsenal play their game, uh, you know, completely sitting in our half and crushing us in. And we gave them way too much respect. And I think in the second half, obviously, Arsenal were happier to sit back on a free goal lead and hit us on the counter. And Marco said, right, we need to play our game, push up the field and be more intense because the first half was just completely unacceptable, you know. I think there was one chance maybe where Ramsdale overplayed. Um, I can't remember if that was first or second half and Pereira had that close chance. But yeah, and that was actually really a big key get moment in the game. I think that could have got us into the half one goal down. Suddenly it's a different game, but 3-0, you just can't come back from that, I don't think. And so we 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 managed to play our game, but it was uh, very much too little too late, wasn't it? Mm. Dom, just quickly, on that Pereira half chance, so Ramsdale got caught by the press Pereira came into possession and then it seemed to, uh, some people say he spooned it, but I'm wondering whether he, because it was so close to goal, I, I, I would thought it was a shot, but other people thought he was trying to find Mitrovic. Mitrovic was furious. Do you think it was an attempt to shot, cross? No, I think he was trying to cut it across to Mitrovic, but I think just the angle just wasn't in his favour. I think if he actually fully focused on shooting, it would have been a lot better. I think I think he just got caught in two minds, to be honest. I think he, he he saw he was he saw Mitrovic in the box and tried to cut it across, but the angle was too tight that he maybe thought, oh, maybe maybe I should actually have a shot. I think if he just focused on actually on actually shooting, then I think he, we would actually you know it, the shot the, the the attempt might have been slightly better. But as I said, I think in the, that second half, I think Arsenal sort of allowed us to play. If if that made sense, I don't th- I don't think we were necessarily. Oh, we completely changed our game up, and that's why we sort of start having more attempts on goal. I think Arsenal, oh, we're three 0 up. Uh, they can have the ball if they want, and then as, as Stephen said, you know, they'll, we'll hit them on a the counter attack. But yeah, I think I think Pereira in that in that sort of half chance sort of got caught in two minds. Really, I don't think he sort of knew what 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 he wanted to do, whether he wanted to cross the ball or have a shot. But as I said, I think our, obviously our main our main attempt was the one to hit the crossbar, which 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 originally obviously I thought was a tossing, but actually it ended up actually being a Mitrovic header. 
but yeah, I just I just think Arsenal kind of allowed us to put, to play, um, and I th- I said it was too little, too late. Where was that sort of intensity in the first half? Mm. I mean, Domi mentioned there, Mitro slamming the crossbar. Dan, he desperately needs a goal, doesn't he? That man <laughs> desperately needs a goal. Um, I mean, what more is there to say, really? Can he? Do you reckon he can get back on the score sheet against Man U? What's what's missing from his game at the minute? Joe, you know, I, I actually did think he was a lot better yesterday than he has been recently. He does. He's st- he's still fading in games, like late on, like second half, probably sixty minutes onwards. Like he does fade quite a lot, and I think that's the injury. But. I thought his hold up play was was back towards what it's it's usually the standard it's usually at, which was a promising thing. He won a couple of free kicks. He held the ball up well. He played those switches, you know, that when he receives it around the center circle and he switches out to either flank. He played a couple of those, which I thought were were more like old Metro. I think in terms of getting on the score sheet, you do have to look at the players around him and be like, try and create something for him, like. He like that's that chance there, which is probably the best chance he's had in like a couple of weeks. Comes from just a really good corner. You know, it's, it's a it's a good ball in, and we saw lots of really poor balls in, and we saw the same against Brentford. Uh, there's just the ball's not falling to him. We're not creating enough, and that's he's going to find I, it I hard to score. I think in regard to the to the balls coming in, I, I I don't think we're crossing it early enough. I think if you look at a lot of his goals from the start of the season, you know the goal that sticks in my mind is you know obviously a winner against Brentford at home, but they're all from early crosses. And I feel we're not getting the. There was a chance in the first half. I can't remember who it was, but they sort of had the ball sort of in a position where you could cross it in quite early, and they sort of passed it back into midfield. And I was like, that's the perfect opportunity where you need to whip it in early and give Mitrovic a chance to. Give give Saliba and Gabriella go. I just and in general, I don't think we've been doing that in recent weeks, and I I, I think that's why Mitrovic sort of been starved the chances because I think if you look at his goals, a lot of them come from early crosses and getting the ball in the box early when the defense aren't necessarily expecting it. And I think that's where we've been going. Yes, Mitrovic hasn't been up to his best, and I, I mean to be honest, I don't think he's fully fit. I I don't think he's looked fit really since he's come back from the World Cup, to be honest, but. You know, and I, and I think in that in that opening game against Brazil, I don't I don't think he looked you know fit to be honest. But I just I just feel like we're not getting we're not giving him the right service if that makes sense. Where the ball needs to be getting into the box earlier so he can caught catch the defense off guard or he just so he can attack attack the ball. I feel like a lot of the times when crosses are coming in, it's coming from the byline back as opposed to deep deep in our half and whipping it in. And I think. That's where Mitrovic is most dangerous. Yeah, you think about the goal against Liverpool in the opening game of the season. You know when you call Alexander Arnold back post just out of nowhere. That's where you want him, isn't it? As you said, pouncing onto the balls. Yeah, it's a very good, valid point, um, Dom. And like um, Pereira was the one who was predominantly providing those kind of you know um, opportunities for us. And um, a few people have kind of thought that he's he's been a bit um, off the ball recently. But yeah, I mean, just to sum up, I don't think there's any reason to panic. As you said earlier, Dom, we've got quarterfinal against Man United and then a bit of an international break, chance to reset and um, yeah, regroup. And on a cheery note, just as we round off the end of this half, it was great to see Rachel Yankee uh, receive a Forever Fulham Award yesterday. Um, the GOAT, part of 
Fulham's uh, first ever professional side, um, first in Europe. This was in the early noughties. Uh, went on to win 25 honours and play 129 times for Lionesses. My little sister played for Fulham Academy around this time. And um, Rachel Yankee was just always such a role model to um, to the young girls in that squad. And um, yeah, I thought it was great that the club honour her in such a way. And um, yeah, first of many. That was an iconic side that, you know, really kind of like ahead of its time in many ways. Um, great. That'll do for this half. We'll be back in a moment with some of your questions. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm joined by Stephen, Dan and Dom. Got some questions for you. Thank you very much to everyone who has got in touch. We're going to start um, with one from our very own Bryce Koval. I'm going to throw this one to you, Dan, and um, quite fitting seeing as we uh, had a point on this just at the end of the first half. Uh, Pereira's looked a little off it as late. Do you think that having no competition and depth in this position is having a big effect? Will Marco try Lukic, TC, Harris in that position at some point? Or is it a priority to sign a new number 10 in the summer? I mean, it is true. He doesn't really have um, an awful lot of competition. I mean, TC, I think, would be the obvious one, but he's um, obviously had quite an impact coming off the bench and is not fit at the moment. Do you think that that lack of competition might be, you know, maybe he's getting a little bit comfortable? Potentially. Potentially. And I guess this is the first time in his career, really, at least for certainly a club that he's been at permanently, he has been the first choice and he's had no one knocking on his door. I've been, I have had problems with him in recent weeks. I think he is probably low on confidence. I think part of it, but there's been sloppy errors in there. And I think my big problem, and this is one of the things that we had an issue with yesterday. And I think the same against Brentford is that he doesn't seem to want to be on the ball enough. And I think that is an element of, of low confidence. There's so many times when we're just looking for that link between, you know, Lukic and Reed or previously Polina and Reed to Andreas Pereira, but it's not there and they end up having to go long or trying to switch out to the flanks because Pereira's pushed up too high or he's being marked out of the game. And I think he just needs to do more to influence the game at the moment. He doesn't seem to be doing it. And I think that's where we really would have probably benefited yesterday from Tom Kearney, because that's one thing that Tom Kearney always wants is to be on the ball, influencing the game. He drifts around, he creates space. He's always making an option for himself and Pereira hasn't been doing that. And so whilst he has all of that effort he puts in out of possession, which I think probably as well has been less recently, I think, and that might be just due to tired legs, but he doesn't seem to be pressing as manically as he was at the start of the season. If he's not providing that, then his on-ball quality isn't far superior to TC's. It's probably inferior. And and then you've got a problem. Do we need a, a second number 10? Probably, because we didn't have a way to really influence the game yesterday because Pereira wasn't playing well. It meant Bobby went into the 10 and that's potentially something we could explore a bit more because I think Bobby is more naturally a 10 than he is a winger. It's certainly he has played more centrally at the start of his career and it's us that sort of shunted him out wide. 
but we do need just I think we just need another player in every position in midfield because we are lacking you know you look at how we tried to influence the game yesterday and we couldn't with substitutions because we didn't have anyone to bring on mm, no I think very valid point we are pretty threadbare midfield we had two goalkeepers on the bench yesterday which just shows two weeks how two games yeah. <laughs> oh my god this just shows um, yeah really really. Well, well, Marco, Marco mentioned Kearney in his post-match interview he, he said that you know I'm, I'm without you know I'm without Kearney I'm without I'm without he didn't want to sort of obviously as we mentioned earlier blame it on Xiao but I think the loss of Kearney has really impacted us in a way that we didn't realise because I think bringing Kearney off the bench was you know our, not necessarily our plan B but uh, it was always a second half plan that Marco would would use and I think without that, I said there is no mid midfield depth. Without obviously with with Pelina and Kenny out in these two games, you've got Luke Harris, and I, th- <laughs> I mean I think I think I think that's about it. So I think I said I think yeah it, it is it is showing the lack of depth. But I mean we're eighth. <laughs> like I th- I said I, th- I think you know if you if you said we're on we'll be on 39 points in the middle of March I think most people would have taken that but yeah I think that the loss of Kearney especially is sort of affecting Marco's second half plans in a a big big way yeah let's hope he uh, comes back soon just to your point Dan about uh, how Bobby Reid originally sort of central he's played so many positions for us I've lost track of where he came through originally (laughs) like I just can't can't seem to keep uh, keep track of all the all the positions that man's played for us Um, Dom this one's for you seeing as how much you admire Arsenal as a footballing (laughs) side this is from Sean Burdett Uh, who is the best team ever to visit the cottage Shakhtar during the Europa League run for me um, although that Arsenal side yesterday ran them very close. Now, I was having to think about this. Like, who is the best team that I? I'm not. I don't buy this Shakhtar stuff, by the way, because we beat. No, them. No, neither do I. They they were phenomenal on the night, and we did very very well to beat them. And they were a very exciting side full of young Brazilians. But, but I, I, I don't I'm, think I'm, they. I'm, I don't think they. Otherwise, they'd be in the Champions no, they're League. Not they not the best. They're not the best team. I'm, I'm not. They were it. really good that evening, though. They, no, no, I'm not saying they weren't good, <laughs> but if like Bobby Zamora, Damian Duff. And co beat them. I'm not having the, the best team to ever visit a the cottage. There's there's one team that sticks out. I think it was because it's weird. You've got the best teams like in that, like you've got the teams, but when they've actually come to the cottage, I think one of the best performances I've seen was, I think it was in Arsenal's last season at Highbury when they wore that maroon kit. I think they beat us like four nil that season. I think Adebayor had a stormer that day, and I, you know they they were absolutely all over us. Obviously, Henri was still in that side. Uh, but I, I said it's 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 hard to it's the best team because you got you got the best teams who we've been in the same league with, but then you've also got the best teams who when we've seen the performance against us. I mean that's the performance that sticks out to me was that Arsenal team. Weird enough, the season they didn't win the league, but I think yeah, the the biggest like four 0 Weird enough, in the unbeaten season, we actually should have beaten them at Highbury. Um, I think we were un, we were unlucky just to get a draw in that game, but. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I think we allowed Arsenal yes to play yesterday. To be honest, I don't think they. Oh yes, they they showed their class, but I just feel like we we allowed them to look so good as opposed to wow, what 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 a team this is. But yeah, I, I said it's not even the best Arsenal team I've seen come to Creme Cottage. So fair enough. For for me, I remember in 2008 we. I had another quarterfinal against Manchester United and their team had Van der Sar, Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, Rooney, Park, Tevez, 
gig skulls. Yeah, so, and that was, yeah, I remember I've, we, we I've lost always said four, that's the best, four, that's one, the best Premier it? League team. Um, that's, the, that, that's the best Premier League team, yeah, that I've, Tevez got I've a seen. Trick. And I just remember thinking they just completely blew If you win the, the Premier League and Champions League, the fact that people try to argue you're not the best <laughs> Premier League team of all time, I think. People talk about front threes, you know, people talk about, you know, Mane, Salah, Firmino. I was like, Mate, they had Rooney, Tevez, and Ronaldo. Like, I think, I think by far that is the best team that the Premier League's ever seen. I, I think, it, I think it trumps the Invincibles. I think it trumps these Man City teams. Yes, I know these Man City teams got more points, but what have they done in the Champions League? Yeah, I think yeah, that Man United team in two thousand and eight was unbelievable. And you know, see, our last quarter final in two thousand and ten. We probably should have won that actually against Spurs. To be honest, that uh, I watched back the the nil. I think if I remember correctly, I think Jorge uh, Gomez won. When you look at like, the best saves of that season, I think two of them were in that quarter final mm. nil nil draw at Craven Cottage. So uh, and we obviously went one up uh, a white line in the replay. But yeah, I think that United team in 08 is still I think the best team in Premier League history. If I'm being frank, I, th- well, I think we are also all forgetting Gomez was. Oh, absolutely. I knew great vibes from Herelio Gomez, though. Like, that's yeah, Premier yeah. League football. But yeah. the one team I think we are all forgetting, 2021-22 Coventry City. They are, without doubt, <laughs> the best football team. In, I think we could put together an all-star full of I removed 11, that day from my we memory could, until you just brought it up. But so. both of them. I think we could put together an all-star 11 right now. We could pick our best Fulham 11 and we'd still get battered by that Coventry City side. Tevez, Rooney, Jokeras. It just, yeah. I mean, it's, it's levels. There's levels to this game, Coops, and, and Coventry City are the level. <laughs> okay, moving on. Stephen, this is from Showboat FC. I'm going to throw this one to you. Right, we've talked a lot about our um, reliance on Jao Pelinia, but realistically, how much of a difference would he have made against that Arsenal side? Although we were poor, I thought that... Um, that was the by far the best away performance of the Costas this season. Just don't need. We've already covered it quite a lot. Just quickly, do you think he would have made that much difference? Do you think we maybe would have come away with a point had he been playing, or were Arsenal yes. just be good for us? You do. I, I think we would have had the moves like Jagger if he was on the pitch. <laughs> that was um, all <laughs> random Jagger in the in the cottage. Is he an Arsenal fan? Does that was so know? random. I, I mean, my dad was like, is he an Arsenal fan? And then like his kids, I don't know if he's a great, great, great granddad and who the child is, but had an Arsenal cap on. So I was like, must did be you, an Arsenal fan. Did you see what Jagger had on his hat? No. Dilf. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat, is this supposed to be Jill? Somewhat creep. No, Dilf is in Dad I like to, you know. No, oh no, I would say he's friend of Jill at, at his age. <laughs> I mean, he's fathered um, many, many children very recently as well. I think he's got a, a whole league of little jaggers. Jagger oh, Jaggy United. Uh, I can't even remember your, your original question, mate. It was um would, would, sex life now. Would Jao would have would Jao have actually made a difference yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do. When you look at how hesitant we are. We were in jumping into tackles and we just lost the game in the middle of the pitch, lost it out wide. The, yeah, we might, we probably we still would have lost, but it does make such a big difference and key and key moments, you know, define the game. And Arsenal were just so much better than us. But you stick Palin in there with some dirty slide tackles and headers and like, you know, screaming at everyone. Yeah, Robertson, actually mark your play, you know. Um, then, yeah, yeah, the, I think it can influence the game a lot. I, you I don't also think like two his, instead, but, yeah. I think he would have probably handled Trossard 
better as well. I think because Trossard stopped being he would have someone, Trossard in first yeah, 20 but, but like like Trossard was stopped being the duty of Tosin and Ream, as we said, because he was drifting deeper and wider. I think that Joao Polina would have helped as that screen and also potentially with Odegaard. Whereas Sasha Lukic, and I, to be fair, we haven't spoken about Sasha Lukic and his performance, which I think was again, like I'm still not quite sure what sort of player we've got here. Um, but for sure out of possession, he's nothing like Joao Polina and he can't, and it, it's, you know, maybe not his fault because that's just not the player he is, but he doesn't, act as a replacement because he doesn't offer that same intelligence out of possession. And so we definitely would have handled, I think, Arsenal better. Whether we would have matched them well enough to get a result, there's no way we can say. Mm. Let's quickly on on Sasha Lukic, because he, he did seem, I mean, I, I really, I'm really hesitant to criticise him seeing as he's so fresh into the side, but um, he he seems like an eight to me, right? That's that's his sort of natural role, and I think people are wanting him to just be the the carbon copy and paste of uh, Jao Paulinia whenever he's not available. Sort of like you know, like a diet Paulinia, but um, it's evident, <laughs> it's evident that he's not quite that player. Paulinia, Max. Do you, Dom, do you think he's got a, a like what role do you think he has in this if in the squad if it's not as Paulinia's kind of uh, stand? I think by? it's penalty taker. Right, I think Brilliant. I think he's got like six or five, a few goals from penalty shot for Torino. If we ever get one, get him on the pitch because he seems to be able to put them away. But no, as, as you said, Coops, I think he's an eight. I don't think he's a six. As I always said when when obviously Polina was suspended, we would be bringing Harrison Reed deeper and we're playing Lukic. And yeah, I think as you said, I think out of possession, that's where this midfielder's got a lot to be desired. I think, I think that in possession, I think it's fine. But I said out of possession, there isn't that same sort of dominance in the middle of the path that you know that Jao Polini is going to sweep it all up. And so I think I, I'm not. I said you said I'm not going to judge Lukic yet. Uh, he's had a, he's had obviously a few games, um, and it's he's he's looked okay. Is what is what I'd say. Um, but I said he, he does. I mean, I'm surprised he was actually allowed to play today, considering the map. He, he probably could have got two separate. Set two yellow card offences <laughs> against Brentford on Monday night, but yeah, I think yeah, I think said I think he's an eight. He's not a six, so I don't. He's not a Jao Polina replacement, which we still haven't got, which is definitely something uh, we need we need in the summer because I think Harrison Reed is so much better when he plays further, not further forward as such, but when he plays that box to box role as opposed to yeah, uh, being the deep lying one. So yeah, I think yeah, people need to under sort of understand what. Lukic's position is and just because we sign a centre midfielder doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a, a Jao Pellini replacement mm. I do also I, mean, I think yeah. we probably won't see the best out of Sasha Lukic unless he's probably playing alongside Pellini I think that's when you probably because you he doesn't have to do as much work out of possession and he can focus on being that a little bit more of a creative and, and he, I think he recycles possession really well and I think that's one of the things he was offering against Arsenal it was almost like if we think back to last season, like John Mikel Seri, in the sense that Lukic kept on dropping deep to receive the ball off Tim Ream and Tosin and trying to sort of just keep play ticking over. And the problem with that, which is the problem we had with Seri last season as well, is that if teams counterattack, he's not equipped well enough to be the last man in midfield, to be our deepest midfielder. And it kept on happening yesterday. He was recycling possession from deep. We'd lose the ball and then suddenly we were getting flooded. 
and he's just not the player who can deal with that sort of counter-attack. So it's hard to judge him when he's being put into a situation where he's not going to be at his best by default because it's not his role, it's not his position. No, it makes sense, makes sense. I think he just needs a bit of time to bed into um, Arco's system. Um, oh yeah, I've got every confidence that there's a, there's a great player there. We just need to find where he fits within this jigsaw puzzle. Um, Dan, Massive Mitro asks, I remember someone bringing it up, but are... Um, but we are catastrophically bad at throw-ins. I think we've conceded a goal that started as our throw-in against Arsenal and Brentford. Why is this? Is this something that you've picked up on, Dad? Big time. Big time and for a long time as well. And I think it goes, there's, it's not just from our throw-ins, it's opposition throw-ins and it really bothers me is that I think, and, and you, I think people will start to notice it if we speak about it and now they watch games. The amount of times that we give the ball away from our throw-ins and the number of times that we win the ball off the opposition from their throw-ins, there's a huge difference. And I think that comes down to just actually practicing them. There is an art to this and the biggest, not necessarily the biggest teams either. Like the, the teams who focus on those minute details tend to be more successful. It's those little, again, fine margins, but you know, teams employ throw-in coaches because it's an important way to recycle possession. And like we saw it, yesterday we gave the ball away on our own halfway line from a terrible throw in and we conceded and so I think there's it's it's really important to work on and I just think Fulham we sort of it looks like we don't work on it and we just sort of resort to defaults often it's just a long throw in down the line see who can get their head on it and if we can win the second ball and if you watch a team maybe not quite at the moment, but if you watch, uh, you know, Liverpool at their best, Liverpool are fantastic from throw-ins because they are always manoeuvring it where they have a man free who can receive the ball two feet and play out. Whereas we are so often just sort of going long, trying to win a header or win a second ball that it's just, it's poor. And I think it's an area that requires focus because it's, you know, we, we, we've conceded now twice from these situations. So there is an element that I think we just need to work on it more. And to me, it looks like it's undercoached as opposed to like someone who's bad at taking throw-ins, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't even pretend to have the football um, analytical brain that you do, Dan. And it's something that I had not really picked up on, but it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I'll certainly keep an eye on it moving forward. I guess, it, yeah, as you say, it's just practice on the training field. Um, also, another thing that's annoyed me is that um, we were so prolific from set pieces at the start of the season and our rate seems to have really dropped off a cliff in recent times as well. I mean, I don't... Is it just a case of you think teams are sussing out our, our, our like routines and we're just becoming a bit predictable? We need to shake it up a bit. If that's the case, then obviously the international break would be an ideal opportunity to work on these things. But I mean, overall, do you think it's just international break couldn't come soon enough? I think it's, it's just a good opportunity for the team. We get away from Premier League action. We've got the FA Cup quarterfinal coming up and then we've got a break. And I think we sort of need a bit of a reset. And it's good as well because I think the break comes at the point where we are then going into this winnable run of fixtures. So we can really go away, sort of calm down a little bit, get over this little blip, this little bump, and just go full pelt at Bournemouth away on the 1st of April. I think that's that's what we need. And I think this is it's it's sort of fallen at a nice time for us. So yeah, it's 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 a shame that we. I never like going into an international break in bad form because you sort of want to. After yesterday, all I want is Fulham to play like tomorrow and try and put it right. Because instead, we've just got to sit with this little bit of frustration that oh, we were pretty rubbish yesterday. 
but in terms of the team and like for legs and for morale I think it's yeah it's a good piece of timing now yeah agreed Dom last question Taz says is FA Cup the main focus now what do you reckon yes it's been our main focus <laughs> is the third round yeah good man right I think it should have been our main focus I think it should have been our main focus since the third round because you know at the time when we drew uh, Jose Hull City actually in the third round it was sort of like well you, you'd argue we're safe why not focus on this? We, we've not had a good cut run, as I said, it's our first quarter final since 2010, which is obviously 13 years. And I think there's no reason why we can't beat... I watched United's game against... Um, at the same time, I was watching the Fulham's game yesterday against Southampton. They weren't good. I know they were down to 10 men for a lot of the time, but like they, they weren't very good. And if, if anything, Southampton probably had the better chances in the game. And Southampton were sitting back quite a lot they weren't sort of pushing for that winner even though United were down to 10 men United as you meant you better mention George without Casemiro you know if, they, if they've got a midfield of you know McTominay Fred and Bruno Fernandes and I mean with a bit of luck uh, Real Betis will give them a I know they're four and down but we'll at least give, give them a good go on Thursday night but yeah I said I think I think Fulham fans should be optimistic going into this game at Old Trafford there's no reason why we can't get a result and I'm looking forward to it next Sunday yeah just on the Casemiro point, so their win rate with Casemiro, they've won 70% of their games. Without Casemiro, they win 47% of their games. So he's kind of a little bit like our Paulinho <laughs> in terms of his influence on this side. So yeah, it's a little, little, uh, it's, a, it's a real boost, I should say. I mean, obviously, we all have Paulinho back as well. And hopefully, I'm not sure how long William's supposed to be out for, but hopefully he'll could be making a return. I think Marco said that TC also is looking for a return against Man U, if that's correct. Um, if not, it would definitely be for our next league game. So yeah, no, it should be it should be a really I'm really looking forward to it. I'm unfortunately I'm not able to make it in person to Manchester, but I'm looking at this from a win-win because like if we get through, obviously we've got you know Wembley, and if sadly I miss out on what will be a, an all-time historic victory for Fulham, you've saved yourself 100, 200 quid. Yeah, yeah yep. exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, uh, that'll do for today. I think. Thank you very much, gentlemen, Stephen. Uh, would you like to name this podcast? What was your favourite three-word oh, review? It's between two. I'll let you guys argue it. It's uh, trust and turned, just because I thought, yeah, I mean, Trossard was superb, wasn't he? Or outgunned, outmanned and outplanned. Mm. Uh, I think I'm going to go for trust and turned on this one. Agreed. His performance I, I was, think it's uh, good. I'm at, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually sitting in a Brighton fan's house right now and they're livid. They absolutely hate Trossard. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust and send, we'll go with it. Uh, what was left for me to do is that my guest, Dan Cook. Thanks very much for today. Been a pleasure, Coops. Thanks for hosting. Dom, always great to see you, mate. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Coops. And thank you, Stephen Seldrake, for yeah naming this podcast and uh, for your contributions. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Looking forward to Old Trafford and I will be doing another follow Fulham Away video there. So yeah, get involved. Yeah, do keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. The usual suspects will be back for the Thursday club. So do keep your ears open for that. And for all those making the trip up to Old Trafford this Sunday, enjoy. Hopefully we can be celebrating a Wembley semi-final on Mother's Day. Let's have it. You right. You right.